Good morning, everybody else. How's everyone doing? Hey, it's so good to see you. Sorry, just seen somebody I haven't seen in a couple of years, so this is great. All right, let's get my brain back in the building. Okay, good. I had just, uh, I don't, don't normally drink coffee, but I just had 100 milligrams of caffeine. So, <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> hey, listen, I want to jump in with a, with a, with this verse, I want to slightly pivot where we've been the last couple of weeks. I'm going to slightly pivot away. You'll see why it's, you know, everything in the kingdom is intertwined. But I want to start with this verse. This is this, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's just a reminder from the Lord. You know, in the original Hebrew, if you can read Hebrew, it says mic drop straight after that statement, okay? It's the Lord just saying, hey, I own everything. The Lord has given us a course correction when he makes this statement. The earth, everyone who's in it, all of the people, they're mine, says the Lord. And because he's God, he can do whatever he wants with all of us, amen? Amen? Some of you are like, I'm not sure I like where this is going. You have no idea. All right, Psalm 50, just in case you misunderstood what the Lord was trying to say in chapter 50, just in case we think there's some exceptions, the Lord says this, all the animals of the forest are mine. I own all the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you for all the world is mine and everything in it. You're like, okay. Kind of weird flex, but you're God. You, I don't know what you're getting at. Is God boasting? No, he's settling something for us in our hearts, reminding us that because he's secure, we're secure. Right? Everything is the Lord's. It's comforting to know that the God we serve has all of it, right? Because he's a brilliant, brilliant caretaker. He's He's very good at caring for us. Sorry, I just tried to swallow oxygen and I realized that didn't work. <laughs> it's also comforting to know that not only does he own everything, but he is willing to share it with us. Right? I was hoping for a big amen at that point. You're like, I don't know. So seriously, like we, are, we could probably, if I was to survey people and say, hey, can I have some testimonies of times where things look dire, but God came through for you with supernatural provision? We'd all have those stories, right? And we'd probably have some stories where we could tell how, there was actually seasons of my life where it didn't feel like he did. And so we end up with this tension where the Bible is filled with promises you can take to the bank, but sometimes when we take them to the bank, they take a while to clear. <laughs> I'm, I'm just being honest. All right, so you've got verses like, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Or, or God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And if we're honest, we can think of times or seasons where those verses haven't felt as true as we know they are. Oh, people are like, where are you going with this? Well, listen, you know me, I'm not challenging Scripture at all. Like my life is baked on scripture for sure. But what I am doing is it's right to bring our experiences into scripture to just focus and find out like where is our experience different from what scripture promises and what are we going to do about that? Now I'll be honest. I, I don't think, hand on heart, I've ever been as challenged 
preparing this series of messages, I have preparing this series of messages. And I've wrestled some pretty horrible topics, right? I've been up here and it's just been horrible as I'm trying to preach the Word of God. And you're like, we don't like it. I'm like, I don't like it, but it's what the Lord told me to preach. This one takes the biscuit. Like, well, I've been preparing this. I'm just like, good night, Lord. Now, I say that as both a warning and as an encouragement. A warning, because to be sure, there's a couple of bumpy bits of the road that we're going to be going down the next couple of weeks. But as an encouragement, I'm right there with you. While I was preparing this message, there were several times I had to stop, gulp, and repent. Because I realized the truth of what Scripture is saying is like, hi, I'm the truth of Scripture. (laughs) Your life isn't conforming to this. And I remember just thinking, I really hope you're wrong. Like, I hope I'm right and Scripture's wrong. And I'll just, you know, because we're short for time, give you the end. Like, one of us was wrong. (laughs) But it wasn't God. But here's my encouragement. God never, ever reveals anything about our life that's going wrong to make us feel bad or bring shame upon us. He's good and he's kind. The only reason he ever puts his finger on something is to cause an upgrade. Now, Scripture teaches us we are, as a people of God, to go from glory to glory. And so if we ever find ourselves stuck on that transition, you're like, it's been a while. Like, I'm not sure there's much glory left in this. I'm looking forward to the next thing and you feel stuck. There's always an opportunity to examine our life to make sure it's in line with where Scripture is wanting to take us. So I want to read a passage of Scripture with you. It's found in the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. You can't get much more foundational than this. And it says this, verse 26. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, pretty obscure passage. I was with you. You had me going, momentum. And then you read this and it's like, what are you talking about? Well, let me unpack it. There's three key principles I want you to understand that's so foundational for the way our life is to be run. The first key is we need to understand we are made in the image of God. That means we're made to be like God. That means whenever we think like God, behave like God, dream like God, act like God, we are being ourselves. And anything that's departed from that is a fraudulent version of ourselves. That's where insecurity comes in. That's where panic, that's where anxiety comes in. The second thing I want you to see is that we are built to reign. Verse 26 says, they will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds of the air and this, that, the next thing. If you read Genesis, that's all there was. It's like the Trinity, we're like, God, brilliant idea. We'll create the whole world. Then we'll create some humans and say, go, run the whole thing. That's exactly what he did. And it's true today. God has an expectation that you would reign and you would rule and you would administer the things that he's given you in your life as if he was doing it. Why? Because point number one, you're made in his image. You with me? Point number three, he blesses them. 
Be fruitful and multiply. There is an expectation, not an expectation, it's built into how we are made that when we think like God, when we rule like God, blessing and multiplication gets added to our life in every area of our life, our relationships, our outlook, our self-esteem, our finances, our career, our job, our family. These three things are the foundation upon which we're going to build in the next couple of weeks. That's our identity. We're made to be like God. That's our uh, authority, that we exercise authority and, and rule and reign and basically just have responsibility in life. And that number three is fruitfulness will follow. Now, this flow from identity to authority to fruitfulness is the flow we need to go in. And it's beautiful because if there's an area of your life that is not flourishing, it's an invitation for you to go up the chain and go, where have I abdicated authority in this area of my life? And usually the reason you've abdicated authority in your life is you've forgotten who you are. Your identity is confused. So you start trying to behave to find an identity instead of behave because you have one. There's one other thing I want you to, to know. There's just another dynamic, because this thing sounds too good to be true, right? Hello? <laughs> People online, this thing sounds too good to be true, am I right? So look at this, Genesis 2, verse 5. Now, this verse in our Bible appears after the verse we just read, because this is chapter 2, we just read chapter 1, but chronologically, what we're about to read happened before what we just read. It says this, there were no shrub, no, uh, sorry, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. So even though we start this morning by the Lord saying, hey, all the animals on the mountains and all the animals in the field and all the animals in the forest and all the animals on the hills, like they all belong to me. At this point, there's nothing. It's utter barrenness. There's no hills, there's no forests, there's no plants. There's nothing. Why is there nothing? Well, it says so in this verse. The reason there was nothing is because God had not yet sent rain and there was no one to work the ground. See, God wasn't going to pour out resources when there was no one there to steward it. Now, this is crazy because God is well able to make anything happen. Like at this point, he's created the entire galaxy without help, but suddenly he stops. He's like, yeah, I don't want to finish that. I want partnership. So even though God is well able to do it by himself, well able of producing multiplication, fruitfulness, bounty, harvest, he chooses not to because he prefers to be in partnership with people who will steward what he is doing. It's crazy, isn't it? Psalm 103 tells us he's got his angels that do his bidding and he doesn't use them, he's using us. This verse tells us that for fullness, fruitfulness, abundance to appear, you need two things. You need supply from heaven and you need stewardship on earth. A question's got to be asked, which one comes first? If you're anything like me, we often want evidence of supply before we're willing to work the ground. Here's the thing. God is not carelessness in his fruitfulness. My experience is that he sends the rain where it will be worked. And he's looking for a place 
where his resources can land and flourish. You say, well, Alan, why do you say that? I say that because Jesus said that. Look, look, Luke 16, verse 10. Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Now, Jesus, in a moment of, dare I say it, rare clarity, like you know, a lot of the stuff that Jesus spoke was really hard to understand. And like, what are you, like, what are you getting at? Because he spoke in parables all the time. Not so in this, he's just super clear. And my encouragement is if you read this and you get a little in your throat, he's not being harsh. He's demonstrating a promise and a principle, right? He is saying that if you just start with the little you have, and you manage that really, really well. You're faithful with the little. You are guaranteed to be trusted with more. Now, conversely, if you don't have more, it might be because you haven't handled the little he gave you. I would far rather there was another reason for that. And we come out with elaborate theologies to explain why one people are kind of more fruitful and more blessed than others. But Jesus is like, no, it's like really, really simple. If you are failing to work the ground of what you do have, you're only delaying what you hope to have. Put another way, if you're failing to work the ground of what you do have, you are delaying what God would like you to have. And that principle is not God's punishment or his disinterest. It's our refusal to be trustworthy and him honoring the stewardship that's on his life. It doesn't make sense for him to squander resources if he knows they're not going to be stewarded well. Guys, I feel about as welcome as a fart in a spacesuit right now. Could you just give me some love, okay? Like, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just trying to tell you Here's some stuff. I recently read this book by Robert Morris. It's the follow-up to a book I've heartily recommended for years called The Blessed Life. And, and this is his uh, sequel that he actually says should have been a prequel. And it really, really, really challenged me because largely it's about this one word here, stewardship. Exactly. If you're raised in the church, I don't know what stewardship means to you, but to me, stewardship means like whatever you're doing, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> right? The only model of stewardship I know is where we gossip about how other Christians are spending their time, their money, or their vacations. Oh, they're not being good stewards of God's finances. Like, isn't that true? Like, we're so good at being the finance police for other people. Do you see the car they're driving? Do you, see, uh, I just, do you see where they are? I just checked their Instagram. They're on vacation again, right? And so we think that we're called to be stewards of how other people are spending their resources. And so I loved it. Verse, uh, verse page 29, Pastor Robert's definition is this. In the most fundamental sense, stewardship is living life with a heart recognition that your money, your possessions, even your body do not belong to you. Yeah, it's so good. Do you know why it's so good? Because it's a million miles away and it's a piece of paper and it hasn't applied to you yet. You're like, hey man, oh yeah, that's great. Oh, such wisdom. Pastor, oh, I love that guy. Just great. 
All right, so we start nodding and we love it and it's biblical because we just read two verses from something. Oh yeah, it's great. But hold the phone because if you turn one page over, page 30, he starts meddling. Look at this. He says, quite simply, you cannot expect God to shower you with more resources if you're still mismanaging the ones he's already given you. This can sound harsh, but it's actually God's mercy in action. There are many believers that God simply cannot bless with great wealth because he knows it would destroy them. Few people understand that abundance is a far tougher test of character than poverty. And some of you, if you're like me, you're like, I don't know, I'd give it a shot. <laughs> like, I'd be willing to take the test. See, I didn't like this when I read it. And then I realized it was true. So instead of crossing out, I just underlined it. Because this has some serious challenge for us. What if I am limiting the blessing God wants to pour out on my life because I'm stewarding the ones he already has in a really poor way? What if you are seriously limiting the blessing God wants to pour out on your life because you are stewarding the one he already has in a poor way? I just wanted to see if that sounded better when I made it you than it made about me. Because when I made it about me, I just felt super lonely. Yeah, maybe you're right, Alan. God, it sucks to be you. Over here in abundance land, I'm good. I got this licked years ago. Think about what I've been talking about the last couple of weeks about the anointing, the lack of anointing on my life and my sadness. What if I'm praying for a great anointing that he'd love to give to me but he can't because I haven't been faithful to steward the one he's already given me. I find it really, really interesting that after Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much, but whoever's dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. That's verse 10. Look at verse 11. Jesus goes straight to the jugular. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Told you it was going to get bumpy. Jesus just came out and said it. He said, if you can't handle money, which is just of this world, how on earth can you be trusted with the true riches of heaven? Now, I've spoken on blessing and abundance and financial breakthrough and the tithe and generosity and blessing and all of that, but never, I don't think ever, have I considered the words of Jesus in this verse where he states that how we handle our money is actually a determinator of whether we will receive true riches. I don't think I've ever paid attention to the immediate practical nature of what I do with my dosh, my dough, my cash, my moolah determines whether I'll ever encounter true riches. Now, if you're like me, the first thing you're going to do is calculate what true riches are to see if you even want them. That right there indicates that mammon has a stronghold on your life. Because if you're thinking, well, I don't know, like having some like wealth sounds better than this nebulous true riches. <gasps> You've made money your idol and not the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of God should be your idol, we understand. You've made money your God instead of God, God. So what are true riches? Well, 
If you look at the chapter before, Luke 15 is just Jesus telling the Sunday school trifecta. He's telling the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the prodigal son. All three of those stories are all about the lost. It's all about salvation. It's all about souls. Then he comes in at chapter 16, and the first part of chapter 16 is that curious story, you know, where Jesus talks about a steward who doesn't manage his, his, the guy's money really well, and the manager's like, hey, I need an account of how you have spent my resources, which, by the way, is what we're all facing. All right, that's next week's top tip. All right, and so he calls him in for account, and so the steward's like, ah, uh, hey, how much do you owe my boss? Okay, well, I'll give you a discount. All right, how much do you owe the boss? All right, I'll give you a discount. And the, 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 the guy who owns all the money looks at the steward, and he's like, you know what? I have to take my cap off to that guy. Right, I was pretty shrewd. Like, he made adjustments with my resources for his future. And then Jesus goes on and says this. This is staggering. Luke 16, verse 9, Jesus says, Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. What is Jesus saying? The true riches are the lost that you can use your finances to fund kingdom outreach to secure them. So that when your earthly finances are gone, you will be welcomed into a home with friends. The friends that got saved because you resourced the kingdom. What? Let me say that to you again. Jesus is saying, until we learn to steward our earthly finances, we're not going to be trustworthy stewards of the most sacred call here on earth. So what have we learned? Well, we've learned that God owns everything. We've learned that God made us to be like him. And part of our likeness of him is he expects us to rule, to exercise authority. And when we do so well, abundance and fruitfulness will be ours. We've learned that he will supply uh, resources from heaven if we will work the ground because he loves partnership. And we've learned that our stewardship, like everything else is supposed to grow but where we don't steward what we already have, we place a cap over our own fruitfulness. And then we learn if we can't trust, if God can't trust us with a dollar bill, he can't trust us with a priceless soul. That means our money actually has an eternal impact. Now I know what you're thinking. You're like, Alan, I've got a question. That's great and all, but how do I become a good steward? And that's what we're going to teach you next week. Pastor Matt, would you come up, close us out? Thank you so much.